everyone. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast where we hope to give you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. Today we are studying the last few chapters in Helaman. This is episode 36 and last week... I forgot to say something in the last week's episode, which I was really sad. It was our Pride episode. If you haven't listened, maybe you should go back and listen. Um, So how many of you have watched the Joseph Smith movie where... No. Yeah. See, I forgot to say it. I was going to make Zach do his impersonation of Beware of Pride. Beware of Pride, boy. Your eternal soul is at stake. Oh, you said you weren't going to do it. He would. He didn't do it last week. And you know what? I was going to do it and just say it because that is something I always say to myself. It's like, beware of pride, boy. If you're a missionary in the mid-O's, then you use the restoration video on like <laughs> every single appointment. That's what it was. And it's that scene where the pastor comes to the to Joseph Smith and, and says that line to him. And we always say that to each other now. Uh, beware, beware of pride, pride boy. boy. Anyway, I was really sad that we didn't get that in last episode. So there you go. You've got it now. And if you haven't listened to the Pride episode, I think talking about Pride is always a good thing. So, And if you want a useless thing to message us, message us your funny quotes from your mission that you used with your companions. (laughs) Or not. Or that may be still (laughs) a part. So anyway, moving along. Today we are... Oh, I already said that. We're studying in Helaman 13 through 16, ending out Helaman in some awesome chapters about yeah. Samuel the Lamanite. This is actually one of our sons. Uh, this is uh, Rowan's favorite scripture story is Samuel the Lamanite. It's the one he always likes when we ask him what his favorite is. Our study tip for this episode is a fitting one for these particular chapters, kind of a fitting one for the whole book of Helaman. It's look for the positive. And this is actually a good study and teaching tip. And what I mean is this, um, it's easy um, in chapters or in scriptures where there's a lot of negativity, which happens in these chapters, Mormons trying to kind of chronicle the downfall of the Nephites and what it was that led to their ultimate destruction. And it's easy in those kinds of chapters to focus on negative principles. If we don't follow a prophet, then we will be destroyed. If we don't repent of our pride, then we, it will lead us to captivity. However, no one is really motivated by negative principles. So this is kind of a trick, but if you can study a negative scripture block, but looking for positive principles, or if you can reverse those negative principles into positive principles, so they become something we do instead of something we don't do, not only does your study improve, but teaching becomes a lot better. A lesson that's built on here's all the things we shouldn't do becomes really kind of droll to people. And if we can change it into a lesson of here's what happens, here's the negative or the sad story, but let's focus on what we can do, what we should do to be different or to be better or to learn from this example, it ends up being a much better lesson. Yeah, I like that. I think of um, maybe an example might be like what to do on the Sabbath day. I'm sure we've all been in those Mm -hmm. awkward lessons that talk about like, no, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do this. And, you know, it just, it gets 
tricky, I guess. It gets negative. It's a downer. Instead of focusing on like all the things that we can do and that we can do to come closer to God. I think that really does put a better perspective on what we're, why we're there together. Yeah. I don't know if that's the example, but that's the one I thought of. Okay. Uh, To begin this episode, I have a collection of news stories. This is another one of those things I've just collected over the years of just surprising news stories. And I don't even have the whole story. I just have headlines um, and then a a picture or a caption that goes with them. So one of them is a candidate for Czech presidency named Vladimir France, who is covered head to presumably toe in uh, tribal tattoos. His skin, he's, he's, he's white, uh, but his skin is completely covered in black ink and he has this mohawk and he's a candidate for the Czech presidency. So that was one of the news stories that I had that was kind of surprising. Um, another one was in Mexico. There was a cat named Morris the, well, Morris the cat who uh, ran for mayor, apparently, in Veracruz. And uh, his slogan was, tired of voting for rats. I like that one. That's actually quite funny. There's a zoo owner um, in Central America named Emmanuel Tango, who owns boa constrictors and reads them stories, reads them bedtime stories. Um, And I have a picture of him reading stories to his giant snakes. Our kids would be jealous of that. Yeah. That may be a cheesy way to start an episode titled Surprise, but the idea is that there are often things that are surprising, and the scriptures are uh, sometimes a great place to look for surprises. Did we tell them that that was the name of this episode? I just did. Oh, there you go. Now they know. They didn't know. Surprise. Surprise. The episode's called Surprise. (laughs) Uh, In chapter 13, Mormon gives three, well, two surprises at the beginning of chapter 13 and one at the end of the story in chapter 16. Now, you know these, so they're not surprising to you, but if you're coming at the Book of Mormon fresh and you've been following the narrative in the past 397 pages, this is surprising. 13 verse 1 came to pass in the 80 and 6th year, the Nephites did still remain in wickedness, yea, in great wickedness, while the Lamanites did observe strictly to keep the commandments of God according to the law of Moses. So the Nephites and Lamanites have reversed positions. The Lamanites are now righteous. The Nephites are now wicked. Surprise! Verse 2, it came to pass in this year that there was one Samuel, a Lamanite, who came into the land of Zarahemla and began to preach unto the people. Surprise number two, we now have a Lamanite prophet preaching to the Nephite people. And then, of course, at the very end of the story, chapter 16, verse 2, there were many who would not believe the words of Samuel. They were angry with him. They cast stones upon him, at him upon the wall. And also many shot arrows at him as he stood on the wall. But the Spirit of the Lord was with him, insomuch that they could not hit him with their stones, neither with their arrows. So three surprising details that Mormon uh, points out, and I think expects you to kind of be surprised at, to draw attention to the things that Samuel teaches. And uh, some of the most important prophecies in the Book of Mormon are in these chapters, his prophecies of the Savior's birth and of the Savior's death. In fact, when the Savior comes to the Nephites later on in 3 Nephi, he will command them to go back and write in the prophecies of Samuel because they had left him out. And so the Savior places an extra stamp of emphasis on these particular chapters. And I think Mormon wants you to see their importance by 
bookending them with kind of these surprising things. Now, what's not surprising in the story is that the Nephites reject Samuel. He's a Lamanite. He's calling them, Nephites, to repentance. He compares them to the Lamanites and shows them that the Lamanites are more righteous than they are. And so they think that he's crazy. They throw stones at him. Um, some people even call him possessed of a devil. When they can't hit him with the stones, they, a large majority, conclude that he's possessed of the devil. They try and throw him out of the city. And here's where we make the connection to us. Fast forward this story 2,000 plus years. And you get men and women who are both general leaders of the church and local leaders of the church who in recent years have come under some pretty heavy fire for things that they teach or positions that they advocate. And um, they stand on this wall and, and people outside the church and a lot of people that used to be members of the church or used to associate with the church um, just take turns throwing stones at him. And the last couple of weeks, I've heard and I've read a couple of people posting uh, negative articles about church leaders. And I, I am not saying that we shouldn't be cautious. I know there's, there's a lot of um, concern about how church leaders address the youth and how they interview youth and the church has made some some great changes there to allow for more safety and more more uh, transparency in those interviews. But I've seen a lot of negativity hurled at local church leaders, and of course, negativity hurled at general church leaders is no real new thing. But I couldn't help thinking of them as I read the story of Samuel the Lamanite and thinking of them standing on the wall. And so, what we wanted to do with this episode is. We wanted to share some surprising reasons from the story of Samuel the Lamanite why we should listen to the men and the women standing on the wall. Some surprising reasons why they're worth our attention and worth our, our, um, our loyalty. And maybe some of these won't be surprising reasons for those of you who are maybe already following or already doing what they say, because these can be things, but maybe the surprising reasons from maybe a worldly standpoint almost, mm -hmm. like maybe why surprise you shouldn't throw things at them yeah. <laughs> if you're in the world. I don't know. But I think there's there's so much taught in here that's worth, worth taking a look at. That's kind of a different tact um, or approach to these chapters. Traditionally, you would look at the prophecies of the Savior's birth and the Savior's death which we wanted to do. Which, well, yeah, and, and those are surprising in and of themselves, and those are wonderful teachings. But I couldn't get this image out of my mind of of my own bishop standing on a wall, and not that I know of ward members that are hurling stones at him, but in a world where bishops are coming increasingly under fire, um, I, I guess I'm just, I know too many leaders, ward leaders, stake leaders and general leaders that are just good, honest people doing their best to, to bless other people and to minister. I, mean, I, I sit in meetings with our bishop and I, I listen to the time and the energy and the effort and the prayer and the thought that he puts into ministering to blessing and to helping other people. Um, and I'd say that's the general... I would say you that's know, there most... Are, there are the sad... There are definitely exceptions and I recognize that. But I think... 
Um, most, but an overwhelming most majority of bishops just want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. An overwhelming majority of Relief Society presidents, young women's presidents, young women's counselors, just want to do what's right. They just want to stand on the wall and tell people about Jesus. And yet the world is not being very nice to them. Yeah. And so this is our episode in defense of those 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 leaders um, in defense of what they're trying to do. In defense of Samuel the Lamanite. In defense of Samuel the Lamanite. Don't throw stones. No. Okay, so let's get going. So the first point is at the very beginning of the story. This is back in chapter 13, verse 2. Um, it came to pass, this is the second sentence in that verse, It came to pass that he, Samuel, did preach many days repentance unto the people, and they did cast him out. And he was about to return to his own land, but behold, the voice of the Lord came to him that he should return again. And of course, he returns again and climbs up on the wall. What I like about that is Samuel is persistent. He preaches for many days despite having almost no success and the people wanting to cast him out. When he's asked to go back, he continues to preach for many days. He stands on the wall and preaches amidst arrows and stones. And I love that he's that persistent. Um, A couple of verses later, this is verse 6. He tells them the first beginning of his message that he came to tell them. And I think it gives us the reason why he's so persistent. The end of verse 6, he says this. Um... This people can be saved only through repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, who surely shall come into the world and shall suffer many things and shall be slain for his people. Behold, an angel of the Lord had declared it unto me, and he did bring glad tidings to my soul. And behold, I was sent unto you to declare it unto you, that you might have glad tidings. Um, Chapter 14, verses 11 through 13. You shall hear my words. For this intent have I come upon the walls of the city, that you might hear and know of the judgments of God which do await you. And then verse 12, And also that you might know of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, and that you might know the signs of his coming, to the intent that you might believe on his name. Um, What is it that makes Samuel so persistent? It's that testimony of the Savior that he has in his heart. He is like the Nephite prophets before him, like the Nephite prophets after him, like the Israelite prophets before and after him, and like modern prophets and church leaders filled with the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't get down, and he doesn't shut up, and he doesn't stop saying what he's saying. In a world that's consistently clamoring, for church leaders to stop saying this or to quit saying that or to change the way they say this or to stop telling us this, they're not doing it. And the fact that they're so persistent, I think, should win a little bit of our attention, if not our loyalty. There is something burning in the hearts of these wonderful leaders that they just will not stop talking about. To make a connection to church history, um, Joseph Smith was one who was was and is condemned and criticized um, for preaching hard doctrine, um, things that made people leave the church. Uh, not to overemphasize the connection, but the Savior did the same thing, right? Um, people left because he taught them hard things. And um, 
even some of Joseph's contemporaries would sometimes try and counsel him not to say some things that he was teaching or not to teach this or not to teach that. But if there's one thing the history shows about Joseph Smith, whether you believe he's a prophet or not, whether you believe he was called by God or not, it's this. Joseph believed. There is zero evidence, zero evidence that Joseph was fraudulent, that Joseph was deceptive, that Joseph uh, was trying to trick people into believing something that he knew was a hoax. At the very least, the history concludes, Joseph was completely convinced of his calling and his responsibility to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That's why he was so persistent. And I think that's why Samuel's so persistent, and that's why your bishop and the prophets and apostles are so persistent in talking about what they talk about, because it's burning inside of them. I think another way to look at that, I just couldn't help but be reminded of um, what President Nelson taught in our last general conference about revelation and the process and the work that he went through to understand who his counselors should be and to understand what the church needs next. You know, he, he, he wanted to show, at least this is what I got from it. He wanted to show us his process of revelation and work and persistence that brought about his belief in his faith. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good lesson for us to remember too, that it's not just an easy thing that comes, that happens. Um, and, and to go along with some of those same verses, um, we both kind of had those ones picked out. Mm -hmm. And just quickly to add on to that, um, I think also because of their persistence, God is able to use them in creative ways. I mean, let's look back at these verses here, what Samuel does. He says, the voice of the Lord came unto him, this is verse three, that he should return again. He just was leaving this place. Mm -hmm. Okay, I have to go back now. He doesn't want to hear that. But he came to pass that he would they wouldn't let him enter in the city, so he got up on the wall because he knew that he was commanded. So God helped him get there in a creative way. And I I, I think we've referenced this verse a few times before, but that, that Isaiah verse that God's ways are not our ways, and he's going to open doors in a completely different path than he originally, than maybe you would have thought. Like, I don't think when he decided he needed to turn back, that Samuel thought he was going to be up on a wall mm-hmm. preaching to these people. Um, and I think that we need to remember, too, that if we're persistent and if we are showing obedience, God's ways are going to be different than what we would have imagined in the beginning. So you're saying if a, if a prophet then or a church leader teaches something that's maybe a little bit out of the ordinary that causes us to go outside of our comfort zone, that shouldn't be a reason for... Uh, rebuttal necessarily, but maybe proof that this this leader is getting inspiration that's a little bit different than the way that I was that he's keyed into God's ways, which might be a little bit higher than something that I'm thinking or that I'm used to. Yeah, or maybe even you know if you feel impressed personally too, like mm-hmm. in personal revelation too. I think I think is a good way to look at that. Oh, and then the story of... I was um, going to say there was that story that we... I wanted to mention this. Um, We were at a mission homecoming for Zach's cousin, and there was another missionary, one of his best friends, telling a story of he got really sick on his mission to South America, in South America, and he spent a lot of time in the hospital. And 
anyway, the story is much better when told this way. But what happened was he ended up being for months in the hospital and became really close to a lot of his doctors and nurses and these people. And um, after he he got a little better and he was able to be out in the field, they got a referral and he shows up at the door and it's one of his nurses mm. and she ends up getting baptized. And I just thought, and he made this, this point of like, you know, I wasn't doing traditional missionary work, but here I was given this opportunity that I wouldn't have been able to, to have. And again, God uses you in creative ways when you're showing him persistence yeah. and obedience to his, what he's, trying to teach us so persistence is an evidence of god's calling and so is creativity an evidence of god's calling both with us and with those that we that we follow yeah and i think to go along with that the next the next point that i wanted to talk about um is found in helaman 13 26 and 27 and this is some teachings from samuel the lamanite about prophets and i think this this goes right along with what we're talking about So Samuel says, Behold, you are worse than they, meaning the Lamanites. For as the Lord liveth, if a prophet come among you and declareth unto you the word of the Lord, which testifieth of your sins and iniquities, ye are angry with him, and cast him out, and seek all manner of ways to destroy him. Yea, and you will say that he is a false prophet, and that he is a sinner, and of the devil, because he testifieth that your deeds are evil. So again, the prophet Prophets tell them things they don't like, and they don't like him mm-hmm. because it's uncomfortable and hard to hear. Uh, pr- prophets persistent and creative, mm-hmm. and they don't like it. And then in verse 27, But behold, if a man shall come among you and shall say, Do this, and there's no iniquity. Do that, and ye shall not suffer. Yea, he will say, Walk after the pride of your own hearts. Yea, walk after the pride of your eyes, and do whatsoever your heart desireth. And if a man shall come among you and say this, ye will receive him and say that he is a prophet. Nice and easy, right? Mm-hmm. When it's easy, it's easy. And we couldn't help but think of that. I was say, can I read the quote? Yeah, please do. It's that Jeffrey R. Holland quote from, what's the name of the talk? We should have written it down here, but. It's from The Cost and Blessings of Discipleship. This is three, four years ago, I think. Um, you'll remember this, but he said, Sadly enough, my young friends, it is a characteristic of our age that if people want any gods at all, or we might add prophets or church leaders, they want them to be gods who do not demand much, comfortable gods, smooth gods, who not only don't rock the boat, but don't even row it, gods who pat us on the head, make us giggle, then tell us to run run along and pick marigolds, talk about man creating God in his own image. Right there, those verses are exactly what yep. Elder Holland is explaining. Don't there. tell me something different. Don't tell me something hard. Don't tell me something I don't want to hear. Just tell me the things I want to hear. I've heard people say that, right? Why don't prophets and apostles just stick with preaching kindness and love and charity? Now, of course, they do that, and that's wonderful, and we love it when they do, but sometimes they also preach repentance and action and change. And if we trust them when they teach the good things, we probably ought to trust him when they teach the hard things too. Mm-hmm. That's what prophets do. My quotes or my point is very similar to the one uh, that you just found in the last couple of verses. This is in chapter 16. I love this phrase. Uh, Samuel prophesies all of these signs of the Savior's birth. And at the end of Helaman, these signs start to be fulfilled. They see the signs in the heavens, the signs that he prophesied. And uh, they say this. 
This is verse 17 in chapter 16. They began to reason and to contend among themselves, saying that it is not reasonable that such a being as a Christ shall come. That phrase, it's not reasonable, would be translated in 2018 English as, well, this just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't fit with what I know. Again, similar to what, what, uh, what you were just teaching, but I think church leaders walk a very narrow line that we ought to be a little bit more sensitive to. Uh, in Doctrine and Covenants section 1, verse 38, there's that famous verse that the Lord says, whether by my voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same. So on one hand, church leaders, whether they're local or whether they're general, and we could add parents into this, right? Seek to know the will of God, not just what he would have them do or say, but how he would have them do or say it. That's what they're seeking to do. However, the will and the mind of God is often at odds with the will and the mind of man. And so they walk this really narrow line. On the one side, they seek to understand God's will that's not really harmonious with the mind of man. However, when they teach it, because it's quote-unquote not reasonable, it's criticized. However, if they were to teach something more palatable, more sensible, more reasonable, they wouldn't necessarily be being true to their divine mandate to speak and teach the things that God puts into their minds and their hearts. And so it's a really tricky line. And it's tricky for us too, because you were mentioning this off, off microphone, but there's a danger, of course, that someone using these very same principles could come along and claim false prophecy, right? I'm teaching something that's hard, but you should follow me. And the concluding thought, I think, to all these points is, yes, we should pay attention to and maybe give a little bit more credence and loyalty to people, individuals who are persistent um, because of the testimony of Jesus. They're not just persistent. They're persistent because of the testimony of Jesus. They're creative. They preach repentance, which is sometimes hard, and they often preach things that aren't reasonable. Not only should we listen to them, but, and this is the big kicker, I think, God, knowing these truths, allows us and gives us confirming revelation. We don't just have to take their authority um, on their own word. We can take it on God's word. Someone pointed out to me that Nephi's famous saying in 1 Nephi 3.7, I will go and do the things which the Lord commands. I think it was President Eyring that said this. That phrase, I will go and do the things which the Lord has commanded, shows that Nephi, between his father asking him to go back and get the plates and Nephi saying that, somewhere in there, Nephi received confirming revelation that what Lehi was asking him to do was actually what God was asking him to do. And God allows us that same confirming revelation. We can know that those that lead us really lead us in the name of God. Of course, they're not perfect. And of course, they're not going to say everything perfect. But, but we can know that they're good and they're honest. They're filled with the testimony of Jesus and we can trust them. Which is why I think back to Elder President Nelson's talk on Revelation is so, so key. The title of his talk is Revelation for the Church. And he goes through and illustrates how he receives that mm -hmm. revelation for our lives. Because... The same process of revelation that President Nelson uses is the same process of revelation that we are each entitled to, to receive these truths into our own hearts. The final couple of verses in chapter 16 are negative. 
But if we look at this kind of positively, let's pray that this isn't us. Let's reverse these verbs in these couple of verses and, uh, and apply them in our own lives. So verse 22, many more things did the people imagine up in their hearts, which were foolish and vain. And they were much disturbed, for Satan did stir them up to do iniquity continually. Yea, he did go about spreading rumors and contentions upon all the face of the land, that he might harden the hearts of the people against that which was good and against that which was to come, notwithstanding the signs and the wonders which were wrought among the people of the Lord. What if you reversed those? Many more things did the people do, um, for they were stirred up by the Spirit of God to do righteousness continually. Yea, God did go about spreading truth and love upon all the face of the land, so that the people's hearts might be softened against, uh, softened for that which is good against that which is evil, and prepared them for things which are to come. Let us be the people that have soft hearts, that are malleable and humble and teachable and learnable. And let's get rid of the the contentions and the rumors and the stone throwing and the rock hurling. Let people that have a testimony of Jesus teach their testimony of Jesus. And uh, let's, let's stand up for Samuel maybe a little bit more. All right, that's it. We are so grateful that you are here listening. Thank you for being a part of our podcast. And again, we will, we are loving hearing your study tips. Send them along if you still have them. You can email us at scripturestudyproject at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram at the scripture study project. Thank you.